Welcome to the Stories of Transformation podcast. I'm your host, Bakhtash Ahadi. Each week I dive into deep and intimate conversations with distinguished guests who share their unique perspectives about the most interesting topics of our time. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Fritzi Horstman. She's the founder and executive director of the Compassion Prison Project. Before that, she was a Grammy award-winning producer for HBO's The Defiant Ones, as well as dozens of television projects, documentaries, and films. The mission of the Compassion Prison Project is to transform prisons and communities by bringing compassion, childhood trauma awareness, and creative inspiration to the men and women living behind bars. In an incredibly powerful video that demonstrates the amazing work of the Compassion Prison Project called Step Inside the Circle, has gone viral with millions of views. And in this video, Fritzi leads an activity with over 200 incarcerated men to bring healing and awareness to the fact that they were traumatized as children. More specific to Fritzi's story, she shares her own journey of realizing her childhood trauma and the transformation and healing that she experienced. She also explains the science behind how childhood trauma impacts the brain, as well as lessons she's learned by working with these incarcerated men and how that's helped her and what it means to be human and what we as a society can do to help them. We hope this episode brings healing and awareness to you and that you will share this message with family and friends and spread a greater sense of compassion. So as always, if you enjoyed this conversation, please share it far and wide. And without further ado, it's my pleasure to bring you Fritzi Horstman. Fritzi Hortzman, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm really good, Baktash. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Fritzi, the reason why I want to speak with you is because of the work that you do in storytelling. You're a Grammy-winning producer for the documentary, The Defiant Ones, which tells the stories of musical legends Dr. Dre and Jimmy Levine. And more recently, you came out with a short doc called Step Inside the Circle, which is an examination of how childhood trauma is one of the key factors behind America's escalating levels of incarceration. And I'd love to unpack that with you and talk about that film. But first, I think probably the best way to start this conversation is to ask, how do you describe what you do in this current moment? I'm the founder of the Compassion Prison Project, and our mission is to transform communities and prisons with compassionate action. And that means however we can find ways to bring compassion to the men and women living in prison and the communities and families that are affected um, by incarceration to bring childhood trauma awareness, forgiveness, um, self-reflection, and creative inspiration and action into these communities and in doing so bringing that to myself because there is no other, there is no outside. So that's what we do. Kind of in a nutshell, um, I've spent the last year visiting Kern Valley State Prison, which is a maximum security prison, working with 30 men. You know, the focus, we start with childhood trauma because that's where the root of violence and the root of uh, dehumanization begin. And when you have the ability to dehumanize yourself, you don't have hope, you don't have the ability to see beyond the present moment, which is kind of ironic, but the future has no meaning when you're dehumanized because you really don't see yourself as having possibility, as having potential. 
And when what I've learned through my own discovery about my own childhood trauma, that when you forgive the past and that you can realize that your trauma has been the root of your behavior, you can really find your true essence and your true self and, you know, get back to the human that you really are. Yeah, that's a really incredible work, Fritzi. And so before we dive into how you've kind of set up this structure and this model to transform the lives of these inmates to become deeply vulnerable with you and each other, could you share your own transformational story about how you learned to forgive yourself? How did it start with you? And then, and then we can kind of take it from there. Well, um, I was having coffee with my good friend who's a psychologist, Seth. I said, Seth, you know, I was, I was abused as a child, and I had never really expressed that to anyone. And, you know, of course he said, I'm so sorry, and have you, and take a look at this book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. I read the book, and it was one of the biggest epiphanies in my life in that my behavior was not who I was. And when I learned that my behavior of, for example, road rage, or I was biting my nails to the bone, I didn't understand where that came from, where where all this anxiety came from. And then I learned through this book that this is all trauma. And then I went and took the ACE score, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Test, um, and my ACE score is at a 7 out of 10. And what I've learned through that, if you have four or more aces, you're seven more times likely to go to prison. You're, you know, off the charts, likely to have depression, have suicidal thoughts, or actually attempt suicide. And if you have six or more aces, if it's unaddressed, if if you don't address your trauma, your life expectancy drops 20 years. So when I started understanding what the ramifications of adverse childhood experiences were. It was like I'd gotten a message from God. And when I walked into the prison, we all have to introduce ourselves. And what I said is, this isn't a prison. This is a trauma center. It's just no one's dealing with the trauma. And so, you know, that book changed my life. But it also it also led me to prison in a way I... I was invited to to go visit a prison, and the immediate answer was, yes, I'm going. I'm there. How did you know to say yes with such conviction? Like, how did that come about? For the past 10 years, I've been developing projects um, based on African Americans and other other communities as well, but for me, it's really African Americans. I think that's because I was raised with a mother who was racist. And so she othered the African-American population more than others. So, But I was acutely aware growing up that that was not the way to think somehow. But, you know, being a teenager and then being a in my 20s and 30s, I was kind of oblivious, more, more interested in finding a mate than I was in worrying about society. And then after all that calmed down, I got to, you know, wake up myself and realize that there's some really bad things that we're doing in our society or bad. I'm not going to say bad, but troublesome things that, that need to be addressed. 
Oh, that's really interesting. And so what I'm hearing you say is that's what's compelled you to kind of go down this path of telling these stories. So let's talk about your film, Step Inside the Circle. Could you give us the backstory of that uh, of that film and how you came to to start it and film it? Yeah. So when I my first visit to prison was through Hustle 2.0, and they did a, an exercise called Step to the Line, which I thought was really powerful. And the thing I didn't get in that exercise was a sense that I shared things that I was also I don't know it just. It, there was nothing wrong with the exercise, but when I went to prison to work with these men, I really wanted to dive into the trauma, and I really wanted to figure out a way to physically express our collective trauma. And it was really by instinct, but on our third class, I had everybody stand in, in a circle, and we were really goofy because we would step in and then step out, kind of like we did with Step to the Line, and then I was like, no. We need to keep going. We need to keep going into the circle further and further in. And we did it a few times. We got to do it a few times because a few men would leave the class. They'd get transferred to other prisons or they would be penalized and wouldn't be allowed to be in the class anymore. So we got to really start honing the circle. And by the second time, the men that started walking in, they kept walking in towards the center. And so you could really see the weight of that childhood trauma and its effect on the men. And, you know, a few of them who got towards the center and you would just see, it really kind of brought an explanation about why they were in prison in a way that I don't think they ever got to experience before. The answers were in their childhood trauma and in their neighborhoods and in the normalization of violence and in a sense of hopelessness and, a, and an inability to learn because of the extent of their trauma. So school was not a path, you know, education was not a path that they saw for themselves because when you're that traumatized, the body is not able to take in new information. The body is, is in, in a state of, I have to keep myself safe. So when you're sitting in a classroom, you're not learning X plus Y, you're learning the guy next to me may hit me, or he may throw something, or I might be attacked. And so when I brought that information to the men at prison, it was a seismic shift, I'd have to say. Now, could you help us understand what sorts of questions you would ask them that brought them one step closer to the center of the circle? The first half of the questions they're the, were based on the Adverse Childhood Experience Quiz, created by uh, Vincent Folletti and Robert Anda. And those are 10 questions ranging from physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical and emotional neglect, domestic violence. Those are the first half of the questions. And then the other half were questions that I learned through my experience in prison, involvement with foster care, involvement with the juvenile justice system, um, homelessness, extreme poverty. Extreme poverty is toxic stress. So, you you know, the idea that you're not going to have your next meal, you don't know if you're going to live in the same house the next day. Those kinds of things create cortisol, you know, the cortisol in the body and uh, adrenaline and toxic. They're, these chemicals are meant to keep you safe when you're being attacked by a bear, but they're not meant to, to constantly fill your body and people who live in these environments, including myself as a child, 
we can't rest, we can't relax. There's no sense that we're safe. There's no sense that we're going to be okay. And that's why I was so anxious in my life. You know, I was shaking and biting my nails and road rage and acting out sexually and acting out um, with my family, taking drugs, selling drugs, basically becoming a juvenile delinquent. And so those kinds of expressions, especially as a teenager and as a young adult, um, before the prefrontal cortex sets in, is basically what we're filling our prisons with. And because, I, as I said in the film, I'm white, so I got a get-out-of-jail-free card. But I also, what I'm realizing, what I've realized in working more is I had someone, I had an adult that cared about me. My father, even though he was an alcoholic, every morning we'd have breakfast together and we'd talk. And he'd see me and he'd encourage me. And my mother would encourage me as well. So even though I was abused and annihilated and dehumanized, I was also seen as somebody who could add value to the world. And that's a big, big difference. And I believe when I walked into prison is I saw all those men, and they're my men now. I mean, they're not mine, but they're my family. I see them as having value, and I see them as, and I'm finding ways for them to contribute back to the world and to give value, to give meaning to their lives. And, you know, it makes all the difference. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I love this idea and the power of the phenomenon of seeing people. It reminds me of this um, Zulu greeting in South Africa that says, uh, Sawabana, which means I see you. And the response to that is, Nikana, which means I am here. So obviously in translations, things get lost. But essentially what it's saying is that since I see you, I am here. And since I see you, you exist. And since you exist, I exist. And it's this beautiful way of humanizing the other person and seeing them for who they are. And in that, there's a whole bunch of healing and there's a whole bunch of just understanding like your role in the world at that point, right? I mean, that just brought tears to my eyes because what an exercise to bring to the men and women in prison. What a beautiful, what a beautiful healing um, expression. And one of the exercises I, we do with the men, it, it's called the gold I see in you, where the man stands in the center and we go around the room and everyone in the room says three things that they see in the man that is worthy, that is beautiful, that is exquisite. And it's not usually three words, you know, it takes all day to do like five of the guys, but what happens in that exercise is they're told things they've never been told in their lives. And actually, you know, I stood in the center as well, and it's something I wish we could all do at least once in our lives so we can really know our inherent value. One guy, after we told all this, he said they've abandoned us. They've forgotten us. You know, they don't remember who we are. And, you know, I feel like our mission at Compassion Prison Project, among other things, is to remember all of us, to bring this remembering of who we are. And we're not the crime we made. We're not the when we yelled at our child, we're not the bad things or the sad things we've done. That's just one thing we've done. Yeah, I think that's true. And there's also something else that's really remarkable that came up in the film, and it's 
the idea and the power of shame. Can you talk about shame for a second and what you learned from this whole thing? What we've done is we've shamed 2.2 million people right now. We're shaming them. We're shaming them for their addictions. We're shaming them for their crimes. And we're shaming them for their trauma. And instead of shaming them, let's activate them. Let's make them accountable. Let's enter them into the conversation of society. How can we, how can we repair this? Because when other people about to commit crimes realize that they're going to be held accountable in a different way, in a way that's meaningful, in a way that can repair society, they may want to instead address their traumas and start understanding what's going on. It's, it's a definitely a shift in the paradigm because the paradigm, the old paradigm, is about reward the good, punish the bad. The new paradigm is we're all in this together. How do we include you? And that we're talking, and we're not just talking about the incarcerated, we're talking about the African Americans, we're talking about the immigrants, we're talking about people that are not white. So a new paradigm is how do we include you back into our world? Because honestly, when you see the next film, we have a new uh, PSA coming out called Honor Yard. When you see the vulnerability and you see the magnificence of these men who are now we're starting to really start getting into their stories, into their what they have, what they have to bring back to us. You know, they've been to the River Styx. They've been to Hades. They've been to the darkest places that we've, we've made them go to. And they have the information. They've been annihilated. And they know how. With us, we need to all work on this. They know how to heal our society in ways we've never imagined. And in ways we've never even explored. And that's the thing that I think is really curious about the work that you're doing is that not only are you sharing what you're learning, but you're doing this through an exploratory project. Because what I've learned from watching your video is that we don't know the answers to these questions, but what's most important is that we have to actually have the space to ask the questions. And that's the thing. These people, these inmates, these men have never even been asked the question, have you had an abusive father? Have you ever been seen? Have you ever dealt with trauma? Like they know these things in their minds and in their hearts, but the thing is, is they haven't been given the space to actually express the thing that's been in their heart. And so just to piggyback off of this sentiment, what's fascinating about this video and about your experience with them is that from the outside looking in, these are hardened criminals. And What's really interesting is they open up and they become deeply vulnerable and they say things like, I was a traumatized child raised by a traumatized child, or my mother didn't want me, which is why my mother tried to flush me down the toilet. And in this sense of sharing their deep loss, they come together in their vulnerabilities. And so how did you disarm these men to want to become vulnerable with you and with each other? That's an interesting question because... um I did that with the men in 2019 with 30 men and they knew me. They came every week. I visited Lancaster twice and got to know a handful of them, but not 235 men. Um, so what I would say is it's Samuel Brown, the man you will meet in the next fully meet. You, he, you saw him a couple of shots in step inside the circle, but you will meet Samuel Brown in the honor yard. And he 
He is a leader and a visionary. He's the one who got these guys to agree to do this. That was a big leap of faith for Sam. And I walked in there having met 60 of those men. And actually with 60 of them, we had done the circle once. They got to experience uh, what we were going to go through. But for 200, it was quite a day for 235 men to show up in the way they did. And also to have 23 crew people show up, most of them doing it for nothing because they believed in the project. And one of the cinematographers, his name is Rodrigo Prieto. He's Academy Award nominated and he's working with Martin Scorsese right now. So to have him show up, it was one of those moments of magic when you know what you're doing is on point and you can't look back and you have to say yes. When they say February 12th, you say yes, even though you have three weeks to pull it all together. And those are those synchronistic moments when you know something else is going on that you have no control over, but you just go with it. You just dive in. What I would love to share with you at this point is my belief about vulnerability. And I, I think I think freedom exists on the other side of vulnerability. And I'm curious to know, as these men are sharing their vulnerabilities with each other, what did you notice about them afterwards? And then I would love for you to kind of talk about in this process, what did you learn about yourself? The men taking steps, just the act of taking a step forward, confronting your past that your parents or your caregivers beat you, molested you, emotionally abused you, which, by the way, is one of the worst. It's, you think physical physical abuse is, is the worst. It's actually emotional abuse. That's the one that, that really destroys you. But as you're seeing them walk in the circle, in the circle, they're experiencing, through being vulnerable, but also through seeing everyone else be vulnerable, that we are not, first of all, we're not different. And second of all, we're the same. I mean, we've had the same issues growing up. It's no joke. It's, it's uh, obviously we're going to end up in prison with what we've just experienced. There were a couple on the outside. There were a couple of people that, as you saw, as you saw in the circle, that didn't make it in to the center of the circle. And which happened in my class as well. And I asked a couple of the guys, you know, why aren't you, when you murdered a guy, why aren't you in the center of the circle? And I found out that they had extreme poverty. And so all I know is I was in the middle of that circle with those men. And I bet you a lot of people watching the film were in the middle of that circle with those men. And so what did I learn about myself? besides a million things, is the men and women living in prison are no different than me. And they are, they are my guides. They are my guides to my own humanity and to my own exaltation or my own freedom, as you said. And when a man walks up to you in prison and says, I canceled my DNR because I want to live now, or a man comes up to me and says, I stopped using heroin and I'm clean. It's, it's because we've been on that journey together and I know what that means to that man. I know he's bared his soul to me. He's told me what it's like to have his mother die while he's in prison and not able to be there for her. 
to say goodbye. Or when another man goes to court and he meets the man who's been abusing, sexually abusing his children. And this kind of vulnerability and disclosure about what they're facing on a daily basis. You know, and that he can't, that man can't be with his children. He can't guide them. Can't, you know, he can't protect them. I mean, what does that feel like if I couldn't see my son? So these are the pains and horrors that I'm getting to experience with them. And my empathetic soul is just, you know, it's off the charts. I just, they've broken my heart open. I appreciate you sharing that. You know, it's interesting. I, The quote that comes to mind as a catalyst for the reasons why these men have done what they've done, either by their own volition or just as a matter of happenstance for being at the wrong place at the wrong time or having the wrong parents, is this, is that a child that is not embraced by the village will burn it down to feel its warmth. And so it's this idea that people will do what they have to do in order to survive, in order to get what those basic human needs are, right? And it's wonderful that you're able to kind of see them in the wake of all of that, to go past that and see them for for the individuals that they are and get to know them on a not only a personal level, but get to know them for the things mm-hmm. that they aren't able to share. And now that they finally have the ability and space to share, there's so much healing in that. There's so much healing in that. And so I'm curious to know, Fritzi, could you kind of share lessons learned from your experience and how that could be folded into this current moment of crisis? Well, a couple of things. Um, This crisis has been going on for centuries. It's a crisis of, of dehumanization and of dominating the spirit, crushing the spirit so that we can all have, have slaves, have productivity. Productivity is more important than humanity. And so this crisis is just now we're getting to take a look. But this crisis has been part of America's. It was, you know, America was born into violence and it hasn't stopped for a minute. I liken it to autoimmune disease. I I liken we are like the way the body is starting to attack itself. We are starting to attack the earth. We are we are not sustainable. We're gonna we're starting to attack our own organs and our own by annihilating the African Americans, by annihilating the, the incarcerated, by annihilating the immigrants, by annihilating our children and ourselves. We're abscessing and we're killing ourselves from the inside. Trauma needs to be addressed and not punished, and that's the. That's like the big, big message because we have a president that's traumatized. We have a vice president that's traumatized. Mitch McConnell, I know, is traumatized. And we have basically, as Gabor Mate said, we have a traumatized president, you know, leading a traumatized society. The darkest part of our society is the prisons. And it's in the darkness when we bring our light to the darkness is where we start healing, is where we start saying that light that we, that I'm bringing to prisons and that every volunteer I work with brings into prisons, that all these magnificent prison programs that are going on around the country are bringing into prisons 
It's that light. And when that light is allowed to fully shine, and we bring trauma-informed care to the men and women in prisons, and we start giving them the information that they're human and that they matter. Yeah, I think that's right. I think once people realize that they matter and they have people that believe in them and see them, then that's the ultimate game changer. It gives them a sense of hope for themselves, for their lives, and then it flourishes and they flourish and they become this positive force in the world. And so, Fritzi, I'd like to be respectful of your time. And I, the one question I'd like to ask all my guests as we wrap up is, what's your message for the world? Let's go. Let's do this. Let's shift this. This has been on our minds for centuries. And why not now? Like, now is, now is such a good time. We've got this momentum. We're sitting in our homes, most of us pondering what we should be doing well let's stay home let the covid do its thing and let's shift this and um, the message is we're all traumatized the collective trauma has basically immobilized us why don't we find out our own authentic selves and when we reach into our souls know that what we're doing to all the african-americans and incarcerated and immigrants. They're ours. They're our family. Let's make this earth whole so we can live on it. Our families and our future generations can live on it. Let's stop attacking ourselves like autoimmune disease and uh, and heal ourselves. Fritzi, I love that message. Thank you for being the light in the darkness. Thank you. Great conversation, Bakhtash. Thank you for joining us on the Stories of Transformation podcast. This podcast is produced by Dana Drahos. Audio engineering by Joe Genjemi. Marketing by Catherine Ahn. Artwork by Mashida Hadi. And theme music by Kais Esor. If you love Stories of Transformation, you can help more people find us by leaving a review and sharing the episodes far and wide. We're grateful for all your support. And on behalf of the Stories of Transformation team, I'd like to say... Thank you. Okay, see you next time.